Hey, 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 Closet Busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Well, here we are. If you've celebrated Christmas, it's just a few days after. Hope you got everything you wanted, Life Uncloseted family. And some of you may have got more than you wanted, the stress of family and the hiding and like, I really don't want to be here, whatever's going on, but hopefully you had a good time. That's all I'm asking for. But what about if you had some of these thoughts about, I can't release something I really wish I could talk about, or maybe you were the little chubbly, chubby, chubbly, not chubbly, chubby family member. And somebody just had to make another comment about, oh, your weight or what you're eating or whatever it might be. And you just want to roll your eyes and go, I can't do this anymore. And for some of you may even said, I'm not that girl anymore. Because you see, this is the time of year where a lot of things can come up. And a lot of times we are hiding the truth of something that we wish we could just talk about. Today's guest has brought an amazing book about that exact subject matter to life. The book is called, which I've already alluded to it, Not That Girl Anymore. And she's going to share with us today, like how well her own binge eating and self-expression in her body and everything actually opened her up to something else that she had been hiding. Her name is Patty Cabot. The book is Not That Girl Anymore. And Patty, I am really thrilled as we wind up the year to have this conversation, because I feel like this time of year and leading into a new year might be the time for some people to like, finally, we'll have their own little version of truth talking with themselves. So thanks for being here, Patty. Thank you, Rick. I am absolutely delighted to be here with you. Awesome. Awesome. And she is from New York City. So she's one of those New York City gals that I'm jealous. I I haven't been to New York in a long time, but um, so you're not that girl anymore. Wow. This is, first of all, it's a big undertaking to write a book, right? Can I get an amen out of that one? (laughs) And especially when it's really personal and close to your own experience, which I think most people who write those, even people who write novels, it's like, there's some piece of something that always gets put into those books. But when you're kind of laying it out on the line, oof, big chore, right? (laughs) It was definitely, it was a, I'm going to call it a labor of love because I'm on the other side of it, but just real quickly, I'm going to give you the genesis of it. When I, um, it's about kind of a lot of things, including all these different therapies I explored. And at the time I was so closed. I didn't tell anyone my secrets, not my close friends, no one. And it was so much to process that I would literally come home after every session and write what happened as a way for me to process it. Mm. So when I decided to write the book, I literally had 1200 pages of my musings and ramblings about therapy. So I had all the raw material. So it was, it's interesting how the universe aligns that out of nowhere, I decided that this was, and I'm a writer by trade, like that's how I make right. my living. I'm a communications consultant. So writing is, you know, near and dear to me, but you know, I, there was no volition behind it. It was never that I thought, oh, someday I'm going to write a book. It yeah. was just a way for me to make sense of what was going on in my life when people, and I would recommend it for anybody who feels like you don't have someone to talk to. Absolutely. And I I think whether it's journaling or just writing, you call it whatever you want. But I have found similar to you, I I didn't have a lot of stuff written, 
but <laughs> I was writing for Huffington Post. I was writing for Out Magazine. I was writing different, you know, blog posts and stuff. And suddenly I like, hey, I kind of like this, right? It's kind of like I'm I'm getting to kind of do what I do. And, you know, I just started my coaching practice and suddenly I'm like, oh, wow, I'm actually releasing some stuff. I'm getting some stuff out that, you know, I want. Now I do it via video. I don't write as much, but suddenly I'm like, maybe I should write a book about my coming out journey and what it's like when you're 36 years old and finally go, uh, I'm not straight, I'm gay and uh, have a wife and kids. So it was very therapeutic. I wasn't in therapy at the time, but I'd gone through quite a bit of therapy around that. So I can completely relate. So let's kind of go back to the genesis of this. I mean, there's a lot in here, binge eating and, you know, confronting some childhood stuff um, and opening yourself to loving yourself. So where do you want to start? I'm going to let you kind of drive the car. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. I'm going to be happy to because I think that I am, you know, shockingly common in many respects. So when I was starting in my teens, I started gaining and losing anywhere from 50 to 75 pounds every two years like clockwork. Mm. And I did it for 20 years. And I am a phenomenal dieter. Nobody's better than me. <laughs> but I could never maintain it. And I couldn't figure out why. And I had like these weird relationships with men. And I felt, you know, there's a lot of people, let me put this out there. A lot of people feel great about themselves at any weight, as you should. I was not one of those people. So I thought that I was repellent. No one could love me. Like I was just so flawed and hideous. And mm -hmm. so my weight really played into how much I put myself out there. I felt like I wasn't presentable. And I think that's part of my constant swinging back and forth between being thin, being heavy, being thin, being heavy. And the bottom line is, is I was never comfortable anywhere, right? Like there was no place I was comfortable, no place I really felt safe, I think, when all is said and done. And so at when I was in my late 30s, I decided, I really realized I had an epiphany. I thought this is going to be the rest of my life. This is what I'm going to do. And I, I was right. exhausted. So I sought out a therapist who dealt with eating disorders. And she kind of like, you know, we went through kind of my history and I was sexually abused as a child. And it was something that I always knew was there, but I never talked about it. I never thought about it. I never, you know, I never worked on it in any way, shape or form. And she was like, you know, your weight is just a symptom. It's not about that at all. You know, it's about this. It's about your sexual abuse and we need to deal with that. And once we deal with that, you'll be able to have the life and the love you want. And so that was really how it began. And I was the worst patient in the world. I was very closed. I did not like revealing anything about myself. I found it very difficult, but I, you know, I loved my shrink as a little side note there. If you don't like your shrink, it's not going to work. You need to keep yep. going until you find yep. the one you do like. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with that a hundred percent. In fact, the therapist that I worked with as I was coming out of the closet, it started with my wife and I going to her together at marriage, marriage and family therapy sort of thing. And, you know, when you don't hear what you want to hear, that's part of the problem with your own therapy. You're like, oh, that, that's not what I want to hear. So then you're like, okay, well, that's not going to work either because your therapist, if they're doing their job really well, they're going to help you hear what you need to hear. So there's all that to deal with too. But um, it ended up being my wife was like, yeah, this isn't working for me. I'm like, well, it's working really well for me. <laughs> and um, because I was confronting my truth and I was starting to, you know, face my own stuff in a big way. And then one day sitting in therapy, I said to my therapist, I said, I, I know enough about this. You know, I'm thinking about being a coach and everything. I've figured out some of this. I said, but 
you're really supportive. Have you had an experience with somebody like me who's coming out late in life? And you could tell her wheels were turning right then. Like, what is she going to say? Right. She said, I think we're far enough along that she goes, I can share a piece of my personal stuff with you that yes, my husband came out late in life too. Wow. Which was a big thing. She didn't have to say that as a therapist, you know, but she was willing to go there And she said, I'm sharing this with you because I feel like it will help you on your journey to see me. And she goes, it's not because I, you know, playing favorites or anything, but she goes, you've been willing to do the work. And so I think these are the things when we're willing to dive in there and do the work, Patty, we can be much more successful. But what was one of those points where, okay, so you had this huge fluctuation. I can relate to that. I've gone up and down, not extreme. Well, I think the most extreme weight thing I went was from 290 to 190. All right. In one in less than a year, like right after I came out of the closet, I lost that much weight. I did not look good. I did not look healthy or any of that. But interestingly enough, I was tying so much of it to my shame around being gay. Which is similar to what you were. I know you're starting to get to more of that. But how does it feel when you start to see, ooh, this is the thing that's really helping me hide what I think I have to hide? I know I have my feelings around, but I'd love to hear your feelings around that. Well, you know, I think it's interesting because I think that for, and I will say straight away, once we started working on it, you know, again, I was very successful at losing weight. My issue was maintaining. So once I started working with my therapist, I finally became successful at maintaining it, which is not to say that I didn't still feel tormented by the way I looked or that I didn't still binge or that I didn't still struggle. It's just that the the flux became much, much smaller. And right. I have been roughly the same weight for 15 years now. And I, I'm a total of 100 pounds lighter than I had been, which is, wow. again, not to say that my weight doesn't go up or down 10 pounds, but it's not the same thing. It's not like losing days, weeks, months, years. Right. Exactly. Um, But we had a very hard time. I had a very hard time understanding what purpose my weight played because weight is and binging, at least for me, there's a lot of very pleasurable aspects to binging. It's all of your favorite things. It's like a Mm -hmm. cozy, you know, self-care is not how anybody should describe it, but (laughs) like there is, there is a coziness to it. And, And I will say even now when I travel, no matter how great a time I'm having somewhere, I am very rooted to home. My home is my castle. Whenever I travel, there is always this great desire to sit on my couch, eat my favorite treats. And it is, it's like a way of insulating myself from the world. So mm-hmm. binging is not just pain. I mean, there's right. a lot of self-hatred and you know blaming yourself and like all of the negative things that go along with it, but it's not cut and dried one way or the other. So it's complicated. Hmm. It's very so, complicated. So I think weight and food can play a lot of different roles. And, you know, it's like you peel back the layers of the onion and you're like, dear God, there's yet another layer. Like there's just so many things it can be. So I think on the face of it, weight can be about control. Weight can be about a barrier to keep people away from you. Weight could be a way to hate yourself. And I think what I finally landed on for me is that because I was, you know, I struggled a lot with whether or not what happened was my fault. And objectively, I could tell you, of course, it wasn't my fault. I was a child. It's no child's fault. No matter what they do or play into the situation, it's never a child's fault. It's the adult's fault. 
but that doesn't matter. That's not how people feel. You grow up, something happens to you, you, you internalize it, especially when nobody else takes responsibility. And I think for me, one of the big things was I viewed my body as the scene of the crime, right? And so how better way to punish yourself, like punish your body than to subject it to like all of these things. And as you were doing that, punishing your body, I know I, I did a similar thing and in different ways. Um, I would put myself through these hoops of doing anything to escape my truth, to enjoy it. I was cheating. I was not faithful to my wife with, I was out with men and it was feeding that. Okay. Finally, I get to be who I am, but then the shame and guilt and everything. And it was wrecking my body. It was wrecking, it was wrecking my psyche. Number one, it was wrecking my body. Cause that then I'd eat and, you know, drink and, never got to the point with the drinking where it's like, Oh, I think I'm an alcoholic, but and, and neither with the eating, but I could see, you know, and everybody used to say, Rick, you never smile. You never smile. Oh. And then that just pushed the button even further. And one day, Patty, it really hit me for, well, you know, not, not long before I came out, it really hit me. Like I can't hide my, I can't hide this truth. In fact, I can't hide this truth that the wounding that I received as a young boy around some sexual awakening slash sexual abuse was so rooted in so much of this because in that moment that that was happening, I learned the, the pattern of hiding. I learned the truth of hiding what's happening. And I was literally sitting in my car after having gone and hooked up with a guy in a hotel. And that hit me. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is where this all came from. I'm hiding and I learned to be a masterful hider. I'm curious, when was that kind of moment for you with the weight and everything? Like, you're like, oof, I got something else that's really driving this. Well, it's it's funny you say that because I was thinking about it. It popped into my head when you were sharing your story. So when my therapist and I would, you know, talk all the time about the food, which she thought was a distraction. She was always like, the food is a distraction. It's, It's a way to distract you from the real things that are at play. But they were very real for me. And even when I was at my almost goal weight or whatever, it's still the power that it held over me, the sway, the how much emotion was rooted in what I ate and what I looked like and how much I weighed was truly very real for me. And she and I were having a conversation and I had said to her, I was like, I never think about the abuse. And I, I never did. I only did in therapy. It was, you know, I, I just never did. It was never in the front of my mind. And she had said to me, she was like, well, think about it. All the things that you feel about your body. She was like, that you feel disgusting, that you feel ruined, that you feel hideous. She's like, isn't that the way the abuse felt? And I was like, holy shit. And she's like, so even if you never think about it, the weight becomes something you think about every second of your life. And it's true. There was never a break from the obsessional thoughts about what I look like, you know? So it's like one thing is masked for another. And I will say straight away, and I know whatever struggles you've had with your weight, it pales next to dealing with the really painful things that we don't want to deal with. I mean, I I think that's unfortunate, but it is true. As tormenting as it is, it's still not a fraction of (laughs) what is truly under the surface. Well, and it is um, just such a different thing because sometimes under the surface, you're like, I don't know. 
I don't know why it's here. I don't get it. Yes. And, yes, yes, yes. Um, it's, I don't know. It just, it's such an interesting space to see that when that comes alive, you go, oh shit. Well, oh, and shit, I didn't know. I didn't know. Like I had been doing it for 20 years. I could have had all of eternity to figure out why I was having issues with my weight. I wasn't going to get there. I needed somebody else to tell me this is why. And, you know, unfortunately, it, they go, the two go hand in hand. And whether it's any kind of whether your drug of choice is, you know, hard drugs, alcohol, food, whatever it is, it goes hand in hand with trauma, whatever the trauma is, whether it's physical abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, you know, emotional abuse, it's, they go hand in hand. And as they go hand in hand, and as we start to hold those metaphorically in our hands, that's to me, when we start to wake up, we start to wake up and go, oh, here's the connection. Yeah. And I think a lot of times you do need somebody else to say to you, well, that's not really what it's about. And I would say one of the things that I would like to impart is that if you battle the same demon repeatedly and you don't make traction, it's likely about something else. You just haven't stumbled on what the root cause is yet. And I think it's very easy to look at what's right in front of us. And in my case, it was my body. What's right in front of me, my body. Like it's, it's not what I want it to be. So it was very easy to focus on that. And again, you know, it's such an interesting dichotomy because as tortured as I was by my body and as bad as it made me feel, I was used to it. And the devil, you know, is often better than the one you don't. And once I really started dealing with the aftermath of my child's sexual abuse, there's emotions are all kinds of different things. And it took me a long time to learn to feel emotions because I didn't like it. It's a very vulnerable position. You're, it's very out of your control in a lot of ways. And I was very controlled. And I think for me, it was so hard to just deal with grief and sorrow. They're very passive. There's nothing to be done about it. Whereas I can say, oh, I look like shit. I need to like lose some weight and go on a diet. And I have an action plan. I know how to address that. I don't know how to just deal with grief and sorrow. And unfortunately, the way you deal with grief and sorrow is to let yourself feel them. But that's a scary thing to do. It's a very scary thing to do because there's a grief and sorrow that comes from, okay, and this was... And I've shared this, and I, maybe I've shared this a couple of times on this podcast, but I think for those who've never heard it, I was speaking in a, in a, at a college campus when it was the first time that I revealed this sexual awakening, sexual abuse thing. <clears throat> and I remember walking out of that, get a little emotional, even thinking about it right now, um, walking out of that conversation and being on that stage and sitting in my car that night and just feeling the guilt and the shame and the pain and everything all over again. But there was also a relief of, okay, this is actually, this is actually out there. This is actually truth. It was such a, it's such a freeing thing at that point. Did you feel something like that as well, Patty? I would say, while I could probably relate to that on one level because it was, you know, it's not a zero sum game, the longer, and I was in therapy for 12 years. I worked with my therapist that entire time we did EMDR, which is a kind of therapy, but I got yep. stuck yep. at different points. So I worked with a chiropractor to release trap fight or flight. I went to a sex therapist, which is a hell in its mm -hmm. own right for somebody very repressed. And then I finally did group therapy for sexual abuse. And I feel like 
I always struggled with the shame of it and telling people didn't necessarily make me feel unburdened, but it, what it did do was let me be known by people that I wanted to know me. So my close circle of friends, like in that respect, it was good that I didn't have to make excuses for why I was alone because on the face of it, everybody would look at me and be like, why don't you have a partner? Why aren't you, why don't you ever go out? And it was like, so it made it easier that people knew that I no longer had to explain like, why I wasn't with somebody and what my struggles were with men. But it's funny when I were talking about the book and for me, I've been working on the book for seven years. So a long time. Right. And that's for some people, that's a drop in the bucket compared to how long they work on their opuses. Um, and I really, when I was working on it, I still didn't tell very many people. And as it became more and more real, I had to start telling people. And I knew it was getting published this fall and my birthday's in October. And I was like, everybody I go out with to celebrate my birthday, I'm going to tell them. And I will mm -hmm. say this, every person I told it became easier and easier and easier. And now it's very easy for me. And now it is like, I finally feel that kind of release and relief that I think you did much earlier on than me. But it, it really it really was just so deeply, deeply shameful for me. And, and you and I were talking about that as well, like that it is still, there's such a stigma to childhood sexual abuse, which, you know, and I don't want to play shrink with you, but I think it's interesting that you describe what is clearly abuse and you refer to it as an awakening. Well, it is in, in a different way because so, so that everybody's clear, I still see it as abuse, but there's an awareness of, I had been really, even at, five, six. And I don't really remember exactly the years when this happened. I know I was probably in the five to eight years old range because it was when I was first in grade school. And I, I, I know where it happened because it, we were living in Northern California at the time. And I only was in school through fourth grade. So I know it was somewhere in those age ranges. Right. But I'd already become overtly fascinated with men and men's genitalia beyond the now I can see after having done some work with my therapist, it was beyond the quote norm of what somebody would be thinking at those stages of life. And then as I moved into my world and into my truth, I have seen how that has manifested in other ways, not because he, he, he made me gay. I've always been gay. It's just, that's who I am. I know now within myself and really after lots of work, like, okay, this has always been there. It was not right by any stretch of the imagination. And what made it even harder was when it was questioned, like, well, why did you let this person do that? Are you sure that person did that? Are you sure you're not making it? That's the worst, Patty, is when you get accused of making it up. That's a whole oh, other, uh, whole other. No, I, I absolutely agree. And, you know, it's funny because I always felt like, Mine was my stepfather and to a lesser extent, my cousin. And it, it went on for years and it started. I don't even know when it started. I honestly, I don't even know. And, um, you know, I thought that the, it was my great failing that somehow mm. I didn't make it stop at some point. And, you know, it was funny. My shrink would always say to me, she's like, there's just it, it's just absurd that she got why I felt that way. And she was like, but again, it doesn't matter. Anybody who's below the age of consent, it's not their fault, no matter what they do, even if they instigate, even if they walk around, they, it's still not their fault. They're not the adult in the situation. But she had said to me, we were talking about something that I thought happened when I was five. And I went on vacation and I saw little children and suddenly it put it into perspective for me, like a five-year-old can't stop anything. 
A five-year-old doesn't have the faculties to process what's happening, to make sense of it, and certainly not to take charge and somehow thwart the situation. So I think that it is interesting when you can finally see somebody that you think is the equivalent and think, no, it's absurd. Of course, they shouldn't have been able to take ownership of the situation and change it. But I think we have this sense that somehow it's all within us. Well, because that's for so many of these situations, societal, the way people talk about this stuff. I mean, nobody wants to talk about this stuff. You and I already had that conversation before we even started recording today. You have the camp that's like, oh, my gosh, I, I'm I'm so sorry that's happened to you. And, you know, wow, I'm glad you shared that. And then we have the whole other camp, which is actually so much bigger. OK, bar- walls come up, bury your head in the sand. Don't really want to talk about this. Don't want to talk about this. This is not something else. which is sad because that means we're going to continue to perpetuate this as a society if these things don't get discussed, plain and simple. And it's so prevalent. It's uh, I mean, I don't need, I don't want to get into the whole politics of everything and everything but when it it almost comes out on a weekly basis that someone somewhere of power of stature of anything that's been responsible for doing this to young people and yet we don't want to talk about it it's like we have to recognize that this is happening and if we don't talk about it then we continue to create and raise a generation after generation of let's hide Let's hide everything. And then we have obesity or alcoholism or drug abuse or suicide or whatever that comes up because no, 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 it's on you. You keep that to mm-hmm. yourself because we don't want to see this. It just. Well, exactly. exactly. And and that is like the double whammy of it. It's like not only of all of these children and again, name your trauma. It doesn't matter what kind. Although I, I do think that childhood sexual abuse is the most shrouded and shameful, you know, what do we do? It's like, it's not enough that you're burdened with this as a child and having to live through it, but then you live with the shame and the stigma the rest of your life. Like it becomes part and parcel for who you are. And I feel like one of the reasons that it was so difficult for me to finally kind of move to the other side, which is how I viewed like finally being free of it for me was that, you know, I'm getting old and I just totally lost my train of thought. I get that, but it's like you're being told to do this thing, and then suddenly it's like, well, but don't do that either. It's it's so frustrating because I I actually had somebody say to me once after I talked about this on a stage, like, we loved everything, but I don't I don't really think it was necessary to bring up the sexual abuse piece. We got your story. I'm like, I brought it up because I want somebody else who may be struggling with that to be able to see they're not alone. Number one, and yeah. number two especially as a gay man, if somebody's shaming you because, oh, here's the reason you're gay. It's because, oh, now we know why you are. That's what happened. I don't want to give them that that privilege of thinking this is what made me gay. That's why I bring it up. It isn't why I'm gay. I was already gay when this was happening. It just made more sense to me in my little boy head at that point in time. And I, I said, I actually say it on stage and I said it tonight. I was a little bit heated when that person said yeah. said. I actually said it on stage that I didn't condone the sexual abuse. It made sense what was happening. It made me see myself more clearly, but I didn't say, yeah, everybody should go do this. This is how you're going to help kids figure out their sexuality. Hell no to the hell no. That is not what I'm condoning. And But it is an interesting space when we, there are times that I can feel that, that pebble in the shoe still there. I can feel it like, 
what am I, what am I doing right now? And I think I alluded to this a little bit earlier. What am I doing that I'm trying to hide? Why did I just, well, I know why I binged ate, ate some cheesecake the other day because I love my cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> but that's different. That's different. It is and different. I think one of the great things that my shrink helped me see was she was like, everybody overeats sometimes. And she was like, sometimes people just overeat because it's delicious or because they're in like a party situation or whatever. But even so, it's not a moral failing, right? It's just not. Right. And I think that's the one big thing that I kind of took away from like, I may binge now, but I do it with my eyes open. There's nothing to forgive and there's nothing to hate myself over. I overeat. So be it. It doesn't make me a bad person, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't. It just doesn't. So I think I did take away all the shame and the blame around overeating. It's a choice I make. Whereas when I used to be really hardcore into binging, it was like, almost like you pass this point of no return where it's impossible to stop. You just start and then it's just, it could be days, weeks, months, you know, where it just felt so out of control. Whereas now it's not like that. It's a choice that I make and that's fine, whatever my choice is. Mm. But that's the thing. It's your choice. And you're in yes. a better space in your own head of here's the choice I make. I mean, so let's go back to my little cheesecake comment. I, I made a I made a really yummy cheesecake that I haven't made in years. We celebrated the holidays early this year with my kids. And I'm like, I'm going to make that chocolate chip Oreo cheesecake. I haven't done it yum. in years. <laughs> yes. Very yum with a little bit of Bailey's on top. It just, it's, 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 it's just, a, you know, delicious, delectable, and it's not good for you, but Hey, it, it, and I'm like, okay, but I got to, I made that choice. And it's not like, okay, let's go consume the whole thing in one sitting. It's still sitting down there and it's been interesting. I've had one piece since we had it the first night. I haven't chose to have anymore because I get to choose. That's the difference. And I think this Isn't is the that piece amazing. It is amazing <laughs> when you can see that. And it's also amazing. And I, this is, I'm going to take us really deep into the sexual abuse thing just for a minute. Cause I think there's somebody out there that probably needs to hear this. There is a difference when you get to choose who you have sexual relationships with versus who chooses that you should have sexual relationships with them. It's completely different. And I know I'm most people get what I just said, but when we get shamed in that space, like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. That's a whole different ball game. It's a whole different thing. Well, and I want to say too, you know, you were talking about your experiences and that you felt like you were sexually curious at a young age and I felt just the opposite. So for me, I, I led a monastic existence. I would like hook up with people. I would get wasted, but it was never something where I was like, I had one boyfriend in college, um, but I was never comfortable around boys and later men. And, you know, I was like, it's obviously my weight. I look hideous. Nobody wants to be with me, whatever. And when I started going to therapy and really started dating again I had a very hard time with it like what's normal behavior and one of the things I had a huge aversion to kissing because my cousin would kiss me and it was like the gross memory of his tongue in my mouth and I was like how can I tell anybody I don't want them to kiss me like that's how you start and end dates and you know when I finally started working with the sex therapist because I was like maybe this is the source of my issue and it really wasn't but one of the things that came out of it was 
I wasn't comfortable. I still struggle with it, setting boundaries that I want because I didn't get to set boundaries. So I always felt like anybody I was out with, even if I didn't want to see him again, I had to, that it wasn't my choice. And then it was easier just to lock myself away than to kind of navigate those waters. And I'm working with the sex therapist and we're doing this book together. And there's like a a chart that we're looking at and it's like a sexual abuse side and a healthy sexual attitude side. And there was one thing that said, sex is an expression of love. And I, it was like, I couldn't believe what the word said. I kept looking at it and it finally clicked for me that if I really like someone and he likes me, then that dictates what's normal sexual behavior for us. But I never felt I think I never really believed that I would be in a situation where I really wanted to be there because it wasn't my experience as it wasn't yours. You're in these sexual situations that are too old, too sophisticated, too advanced, that are just wrong. And it sets the template for what you perceive to be your role and, you know, what license you have to say yay or nay. But I think that's the thing is it comes down to having autonomy over our own body and our own thoughts and our own decisions. The yes. beauty of what we've both uncovered in our own journeys with, you know, the weight loss and everything else and sexuality. I mean, there's times in the sexuality sphere that I catch myself almost like holding back because the shame shows up, the fear shows up. And, and, and I, it's, it was probably more in my early life coming out like when I first got out and started dating guys, there were guys that made me feel very unsafe, not because they were bad guys, but because of something they did on a date or in the bedroom or something that they said in a way that took me back. And it, you know, it's amazing. And I know anybody who's been through deep therapy and all this sort of stuff will totally relate to what I'm about to say. It's amazing what's buried in the ethers of our lovely little gray matter that can show up when you least expect it. It's just almost shocking, but yet it's also kind of amazing when you have that moment so that you can go, okay, well, not done yet, not done yet. So. Well, and I think for me, one of the things that I would do is I would feel, and, and I had a few experiences where I had talked to my shrink about it and she was like, I think it's instantaneous. You end up in a sexual situation and suddenly you're, you're like a five-year-old again and it doesn't make sense to you. Cause I was always like, I'm, I feel confused. I always would feel confused. Not even, even if it was somebody I liked, it wasn't necessarily fear, but I felt confusion. And she's like, five-year-olds can't make sense of it. And she's like, and it triggers you and it takes you back to that time and that place. And I think that's the fascinating thing too, about when horrible things happen to us, you know, we continue to grow and evolve and change, and we can be very good at having successful jobs and careers and friendships and relationships and all these things. So on the face of it, we seem fine. But when there's trauma, that part of you is cut off from the rest. So that part of you becomes frozen. And so even though I might have been 30, 40, 50, and functioning perfectly, there's still that five-year-old that until you make sense of what happened to you then you don't get to really reclaim that part of yourself and move forward. And I will also say too, this was very hard for me, but I did ultimately meet someone and I made a vow to myself, everything I felt, everything I thought I would say. And he was amazing because I, I really, I was afraid. I was, 
not of him, but it's still all those feelings to process all of it. It's so scary. And I didn't have to be alone with it. So, you know, because it comes out. So it's like about finding someone safe to navigate these new waters with. And that's not only finding someone safe to navigate the new waters with in maybe a sexual abuse journey. Maybe it's about the same thing in weight loss or I'm not feeling loved or I don't have confidence. This is why I really enjoy doing these conversations because, yeah, maybe couched in sexual abuse or weight loss or something. But what we're talking about, listeners, is this can be done in any situation you find yourself in. There is shame, there is guilt, and there is hiding in so many things. There's shame and guilt in not wanting to have children. There's shame and guilt in having ran your credit cards up to, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. But the thing is, is when we start to come clean and we own it, when we own where we are, we see how we have shown up in the world. We trust how we are able to navigate if we give ourselves permission to navigate. And then one day you're going to have your own interesting, beautiful awakening. And you can say, I'm not that girl, that guy anymore around whatever it is that you've been binging on or not binging on or hiding away or tucking away under the carpet. I always say there's so much stuff under the carpet that people tend to just sweep under the carpet. And one day you can't even walk on the carpet because it's just lumpy and bumpy with all the stuff that we've been trying to hide. I so appreciate you, Patty, and sharing all this with us because this is something that's really hard for people to put their arms around. Oh, I absolutely agree. And I would say to echo what you said, you know, it's, it takes a lot of strength to make yourself vulnerable and to mm-hmm. trust that the people that you choose to make yourself vulnerable with won't hurt you. And then to also recognize that even if they do, you are strong enough to survive it. It won't be the death of you. You need to just, this is life. And if you want to have the things that you aspire to, you have to be willing to put yourself out there. You have to be willing to do the work. You have to be willing to share your hopes and dreams with people because nothing happens in a vacuum, right? Like Mm -hmm. it really is about, I used to hide, I wanted to be invisible. And it's so funny that the further I got along in my therapeutic journey, the one thing I really wanted was to be known because I always felt misunderstood. And the only way you can be known is by sharing your truth, whatever it may be, and trusting that the people that you let in are going to be good soldiers about it. And that's a key. The people you let in will be the good soldiers about it. And they help you. You know, I know the subtitle of your book is How Bingini Led Me to Confront My Childhood Sexual Abuse and Open Myself to Love. I'm quite sure the opening yourself to love wasn't just about in love with another person. It probably was much about opening yourself to love with yourself, too. Is that correct? Well, I, I absolutely it's correct because I think one of the things that, you know, I hated myself. I blamed myself. It was, again, it was my unforgivable sin that any of these things had happened to me, whether that's rational or not, it's how I felt. So, you know, I used to look at, do I keep myself alone as a way to punish myself? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of way to punish yourself. Um, Yeah. So, and I wouldn't want anybody to get discouraged and think, wow, it took her 12 years. It did take me 12 years, but it doesn't mean it's going to take somebody else 12 years. And again, it's not a zero sum game. Every year I was happier. Every year I made more and more progress to where I I couldn't believe 
I can't believe that there was a time I would have chosen death before sitting here and talking to you, Rick. Mm -hmm. I would have been yep. like, absolutely yep. not. Absolutely. I agree. A hundred percent. There was a time that I, I was so, and I'm not saying, oh, I don't give a shit anymore, but there was so much time that I was so ashamed of being a serial cheater throughout the entire time I was married to my ex-wife. Then like, I'm just scum. I'm just scum. I mean, yeah, I had to hear that from her, right? Okay, I did hear it. I heard it loud and clear. And then through my own work and development, and then one time in a conversation with her, with her therapist as she was going through her own stuff and working her way through her addictions and stuff. I remember her therapist saying to me, is there something you'd like to say to her in response to you being, you know, a disgusting human being and cheating? I said, yep. I've heard you. I just need you to know I've heard you and I own every bit of it. For me, that conversation is done. And her therapist looked at her like, and what would you like to say? And it was really interesting, Patty, because I think her therapist, he knew I had moved into that space where I'm admitting I own this. I completely own it. So I'm done with that part of the conversation. You can continue to have that conversation, but guess what? Rick is not going to be a part of that. Rick is healing himself and loving himself beyond that. And when I'm on stage about that sort of stuff, there's always somebody in the audience that's, you know, comes up and tells me what a jerk I am. I'm like, yep, yeah, I know. Thank you for oh, letting no. me know. No, oh, yeah. no, no. It's so funny because that is not my perspective at all. I was thinking I would have, and again, this is not apples to oranges. Cheating on your spouse is not the same as sexually abusing a child. So let's just be no. clear that <laughs> they are right, not the right. same thing. No. What I wouldn't have given for anyone to acknowledge the pain that they caused me. You know yep. what you did? You saw her and you heard her. Like, yep. that's what we all want. Like, yep. I think it's very admirable that you had it within yourself to be able to look at it and say, I did a terrible thing. I feel horrible about it. I'm sorry. Yep. Like, that's that's the goal, I think, in life. When you hurt people, to accept responsibility and truly try to make amends. Like, I don't know that there's more that people can do. Again, you didn't kill someone. It's different. But right. but even that, like, you know, when accepting responsibility is huge and most people don't ever do it. So mm -hmm. I think that you gave her the pathway to closure. You heard her. You saw her. You took accountability. You apologized. Yep. And that's all you can do. And my that's and from right. my perspective, that's all you can do. You Now. It's then incumbent on the other person to say that works for them. But if it doesn't, I can't, I can't be responsible for your reaction to what I gave you. I, I, this is where I think we get caught in the mires of these spaces. And then it's like, ah, you know, I, I have to keep making this right. At some point, we are all given the privilege of saying, I have made this right to the best of my ability. If that isn't good enough for you, I can't control that for you. And that's a hard thing for people to hear, especially in these worlds, like especially coming out of the closet. I, I have, you know, Somebody who comes out of the closet and says I'm gay or whatever, I've, I've done my best to make that comfortable for you. But if it can't be comfortable for you, I, I can't be held responsible for making you comfortable with me. Just can't. And I think that is so key because even when you and I were talking about that childhood sexual abuse is still the most shameful. I am finally at a point where I'm like, you know what? I'm sorry. It makes you uncomfortable to talk about it. Try yes. living it. You know, yes, like exactly. Put yourself in try, my shoes. Like try living it. Absolutely. So. Well, Patty, thank you so much for being here and being part of it again. How can, if somebody wants the book, the name of the book, all that good stuff, this is your moment to like, like, let's reshare all that good stuff. But how would they get a hold of you if they want to get the book? Where can they get it? 
So I have a website. It's pattycabot.com, P-A-T-T-Y-C-A-B-O-T.com. You can download my book for free. Um, you can send me an email. I am on social media. I'm not great about it. Um, I'm trying to be better. <laughs> But I am on social media. So if you find me, I will find my way back to you. But my website awesome. is probably the most direct. <laughs> very cool. Well, very good. And, and, and so the book glad is that free. So please, I hope you'll read it. <laughs> well, that's that's a generous thing right there that, you know, and as an author myself, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I get it. And and at some point, this is something that Patty shared with me um, before we came on. Like, I just I'm on a mission to help others be able to navigate through this. And that's such a beautiful mission to be on. And it emanates through everything that you've said today on the podcast, Patty. So again, I really appreciate you. Thank you for being part of the Life Uncloseted family and sharing your truth on many fronts about your journey with weight loss and weight gain and, and your sexual abuse. It's such vital conversations to help others step out of their closet. So again, thank you for being here with us. Thank you so much, Rick. I appreciate your generosity and I am just very privileged to be here and spend this time with you. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about and you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted and never stop stepping out, stepping up and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.